everyone, and welcome into the Season 2 premiere of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today, we'll be discussing Season 2, Episode 1, which is titled, Welcome Back, Carter. The episode aired on September 21st, 1995. Lauren, what was going on this week 25 years ago? Daniel, do you want to take this first one? I started kindergarten somewhere Yay. around this time. I don't think it would have been late September, but definitely September of 1995. I was, little Daniel was starting kindergarten. You began your academic career? And little Lizzie just turned eight? Ooh, Seven. So you would have been Seven. starting, what, second Third. grade? First grade, I think. No. I was always one of the older ones in my class. First is like six. Yeah, I know, but I was like the only, like, I was like four and three-year-old preschool. and. So you would have been probably second grade then. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway. What year did um, you graduate high school? Ooh. Let's do math. 2007. (laughs) 2007. So then you would have been in first grade because I graduated in 2008. Okay. There we have it, folks. I'm old. Great. Okay. So along with that, on August 15th, the Macarena by Los Del Rio was released. White people's weddings would never be the same. And I should note, a lot of these are catch up because we did have a season break here. So we're going to have some that don't exactly line up with the week. August 25th saw the release of Windows 95. Exciting times. Yeah, I think it was in Windows 9. I kept thinking this was the one where Steve Ballard did that really dumb oh, dance yeah. at the press conference about, or at the tech conference about it. It was Windows 98, which we'll get to in a few years. All right, we got something to look forward to. Um, another tech one. On September 3rd, eBay was officially founded. Originally known as Auction Web, the very first item sold was a broken laser pointer for $14.83. And the number one movie of the box office this week is To Wong Fu Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. And Gangsta's Paradise by Coolio is the number one song. Which was my very first favorite song. I am somehow not surprised. <laughs> and the very first Al Yan- Weird Al Yankovic song I ever heard was Amish yeah, Paradise. Amish Paradise, yep. Which yeah, they played I... at your brother's wedding. <laughs> oh, that's very Midwestern. That was a whole thing. That Midwestern was a whole thing. Well, uh, he, w- he was married to a farmer. Oh, Jesus. No, they played it. Oh. T- the one to. Oh, that's right. You weren't at his first wedding. I was not wedding. at his first wedding. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. He, he was married to a farmer, his first wife. His second wife, they just lived around. In Pennsylvania. Uh, in Pennsylvania, which is Amish central. Amish country, yeah. No, I had, I had, I think Gangsta's Paradise was the first song, or like, it's the first thing I can definitely remember having on like a cassette that like, you had, it had the, the song, probably the like cleaned up or edited version, although I don't think there's any profanity in it to begin with. It had the song itself on the first side and then on the B side, it had like the karaoke version where it was just the music and none of the lyrics and everything and i spent Jesus. a whole summer like learning the lyrics <laughs> wanting to perform it i was a very very dumb little child um the 90s were a strange time it was a strange time for all of us so let's get into this season we start off with an absolute banger of a viewership number we have all an all new all-time high for viewers with 37.5 million viewers eclipsing last season's high mark of i think 35.3 so we added about another almost what two and a half million viewers almost uh to this week and we are uh directed and written this week by the dream team from season one mimi letter uh directing and john wells writing 
All right, and then uh, getting into the episode proper, we open in sort of like your stereotypical urban neighborhood that's clearly a set and not really yeah. anywhere. Um, just with a general motif of active neighborhood life and very vibrant Latinx community. Yeah. And we open with a drive-by shooting. Hooray! You can tell they're in gangs because they have different colored bandanas than the guy they shot. <laughs> Really got to up those stakes. This is season two now. We got to take the gloves off. Exactly. Yep. Got to get them in with that with that trademark uh, primetime violence. But of course, they get us to care about this because they show a good thirty seconds of the neighborhood and you know people sitting on their stoops and kids playing in in sprinklers, not sprinklers. Oh my gosh, with the fire hydrant, the, fire, fire hydrant. the open fire hydrant, and everything before the shooting happens. So now we we care about this neighborhood. Um, yeah. And from the shooting, we we get a shot of a little toddler sitting next to his mom crying. Is it the pregnant mom? I think it's the pregnant mom. Yeah. Okay. And then um, we switch right into the green trauma room with Mark, Lydia, and Lily working on a gushing gunshot wound victim. Um, and while they're doing this, this cop is standing there. He goes, you see who shot you? And Mark's like, yeah, he's not really talking right now. <laughs> Because this guy is just oozing. Like, there's no way he's going to be able to communicate or take questions. Like, dude, can you can you give us a minute? Like, can like, we do bro, our jobs? Us, bro, give us some space. Yeah, give let us do our jobs. So we start immediately in the action with that, and then we do one of the great pans into the yellow trauma room with Doug and Chuni working on another gunshot victim. And Lily asks where Lewis is. Nobody has any idea. So it's just, it's great. We're set up immediately with the high stakes high action shot, good energy from everybody. We're back. We're yep. back in the ER. And I would like to point out that Chuni is we met her at the in episode 24 of last season Motherhood where she was no beaners. Now she's just in the ER. No <laughs> explanation given. She's just in the ER now, which I'm fine with yeah. cuz she's great. There's but... a, there's a few examples of that in this episode. Just lots of hand waving like, "Yeah, this is different now. Don't worry about it." Oh yeah, there is. You're right. <laughs> yeah, but uh, we continue that one shot uh, through the whole ER to meet to check in with all of our main characters except Carter, and we got Susan ch- uh, looking f- looking very cute with her short hair and you know just kind of going through. I think uh, Carol got Carol in there. You got a little bit of everyone in there, and then the first cut isn't until uh, Benton is clipped by one of the um, what by a gurney that's being brought in by a paramedic and falls to the floor so but i think it's like a solid like minute minute and a half of just a one shot i think a minute which that had to be a bitch to shoot the coordination of it yeah definitely doing a good job of bringing us back into the the environment and bringing us back into like kind of the the hectic chaotic nature of the er um really sets sets the tone for season two hey Um, we actually get that we get a name drop of our (laughs) podcast in this episode an audio clip later so then just Quick hitters as we're going around. We see there's a pregnant woman with a gunshot wound to the abdomen. Uh, we see Connie working or work, holding the baby, kind of, you know, working with the baby. And then Carter, uh, we hear through Benton, is two hours late because, as we recall from the end of season one, this is going to be Carter's first day. We don't really like they didn't establish that date wise, but I mean, we can draw the pretty pretty standard conclusion mm-hmm. that um, this is going to be the first day of Carter's uh, surgical sub-eye. So he's two hours late, according to Benton, which, like, if I was ever two hours late for anything, first of all, but especially, like, a job-slash-class thing like he is, I think I probably just would never actually show up out of shame. Like, 
<laughs> if I'm already two hours late, I think I'm just going to call that one a, a loss and cut my losses. Yeah. And I should note, um, we say Connie's working with the baby. It's not the one the pregnant woman is currently pregnant with. It's the one that she was holding. Right. When the crying the, one. Yeah. We are yeah, going, the, we're, we're going to get the other baby out here shortly, but we're not there yeah. yet. This is her, this is her elder baby. A little bit less of a tiny human. Yes. A toddler. So I just wanted to clarify that because I realized the notes were unclear. But Yeah. And speaking of uh, Carter, transition to a shot of him in a cab. He's peeking his head out. It's completely jam-packed traffic along Michigan Avenue. He's looking very tan. So he, and he's got all these, uh, he's got like a uh, very tropical shirt on and just like a giant hat on the back Stupid of his head. Stupid hat. Exactly. Just looking like a total douchebag. Yeah. Um, no suspenders with the with it, so thank God. I kind of wish he did though. Like that would have that would have been the perfect touch to just have him wearing suspenders on top of a Hawaiian shirt, looking like a complete asshole. That would have just been my that would have been yeah. my first my first favorite application of suspenders. I feel like that would have been a casual Friday Morgenstern look. <laughs> Quite possibly, but yeah. Anyway, but yeah, how about that tan, Daniel? Oh yeah, so. Uh, the the tan that we see from Carter here, which I, I'm assuming based on the, what I read about this, I'm assuming they filmed this part of it in Chicago, and apparently um, there was a very real Chicago heat heat wave going on at the time. I mean, it's late summer in Chicago, so I assume that's probably pretty hot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they had Carter in a spray tan, and uh, apparently it kept coming off in the very real Chicago heat because he was sweating so much. So they had to keep reapplying and re you know redoing his goofy spray tan here and he's got to keep it for the whole episode and i felt very bad for him yeah that can't have been fun um but he grabs his bags out of the cab and runs down the street to try to get to the hospital and just just some more great physical comedy just looking like a bumbling idiot just walking not even down the sidewalk just running down the middle the median of michigan avenue which yeah there's generally kind of like a it's not like right next to each other the two lanes that kind of there's a little bit of a gap in there Uh, especially where they are by the Wrigley building. There's some like some floral stuff around there. So he's like, he's not even running down the sidewalks, which he could easily get to just by going in front of the parked cars. Yeah. Right out front of that Wrigley building though. Yeah. They, they love that, that hole, that bridge, that intersection, that it's a good one to shoot on. There's plenty of space. That plaza is huge. Yeah. it's beautiful. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just, I'm I'm just saying from practical standpoint, it makes sense that it would be a shooting location because they probably could have parked all their stuff on that plaza. Probably. But yeah, runs like half a block and looks up the clock and just is like, oh god, I'm so fucking late. Obviously in less in less vulgar terms, but yeah, just like, oh shit, I'm fucked. And then new season, same old bangs, still no tinkles. <laughs> we're setting we're setting the count one to zero and we're starting fresh. Oh, we're resetting the count. Okay. We're, no, we're, no, no, no. We're this is still like twenty something to one. But I'm just saying, as far as like making it easier to keep track of, we know season one was a wash. Let's start season two fresh. That yeah. instead of saying twenty four to one. I mean, we yeah, haven't well, like, season, been, like mentioning the numbers. Yeah. So season season one would have been twenty three to one because we, the pilot didn't have a theme mm, so you're right 24 episodes and only one of them was a, a twinkle so 23 to 1 so we're 1 and 0 going into season 2 all right let's see how this goes um and then we come into the crowded waiting room with a woman in a yellow dress talking to jerry and she's just talking his ear off we had passed her earlier in the episode like in the one shot that they did 
and she's just stream of consciousness talking to him about the most random, just whatever comes to mind she's talking about. And Jerry cannot be fucked with this right now. He is just so done. Um, it looks like the air conditioning is broken again. We see people working up in the HVAC stuff. Got a lot of guys up on ladders. And some real great visuals, right, Daniel? <laughs> yeah, there is an HD butt crack right near Jerry's head from one of the AC repair guys. Mm. Like, he's got full plumber butt. And it is just, like, front and center right next to Jerry's ear. And it's just, you know, it's perfect. Maybe one of those details you don't necessarily count on seeing in, yeah. in yeah. lovely 1080p definition. Yep. And Jerry's just wondering where the hell psych is for this woman. Like, she's got a hurt leg, but clearly she's a psych patient. And, yeah, she's bipolar, but she's got... They mentioned something is up with her leg, but um, it's not super critical at the moment. So we're gonna... She's gonna be a, a through patient for this episode. Not a very, like crucial one but she comes back a few times i mean you say she's not crucial but i've i've got a little tidbit about her at the end that I, like we'll, we'll save it for the end of the episode for when we finish with her that i'm like i don't under i don't fully understand about her whole thing but we'll, we'll get there of course you do daniel <laughs> um and but from there we've got some new medical students some new blood coming in um, only one of them you really need to pay attention to. The rest of them are very much filler, just kind of like kind of like the ones we had at the um, season one finale. Like, remember, we had that little group of medical students that Carter was laughing at. All those were filler. But this one, we do actually have somebody that we have to pay attention to, at least for a little while. Um, Harper Tracy, who's kind of the pretty blonde one at the front, who's offering to take a history when she's clearly never taken one before. She's, she's going to be with us for a little while. Um, she's kind of a semi- permanent character for this season um i don't even know if she may i don't think she makes it out of season two she's in 15 episodes total um so she's going to be with us um i think for a big chunk of season two at least um and she's kind of a curious one to me like i'm curious to see how i feel about her on this go around because i remember from the first go around that she was pretty forgettable like there wasn't a, a lot for me to sink my teeth into with with harper so i'm interested to see if that changes on this go around yeah, I remember, I think, she, doesn't she have, like, a little fling or something with, like, Carter or something? I, I believe so. Exactly. This is this is definitely during the the stretch of the show where they are trying to make Carter a heartthrob. Like, they're trying to, like, make him the, like, male interest, because we all know Green ain't doing it. Um, so, you know, they're, <laughs> they're like, we need, a, we need a hot male lead who ha- sleeps with all the women that's not Clooney. Uh, I was about to say, yeah, Clooney's got that. I mean, yeah, but, like... You know, they've already kind of got Clooney paired off. Like we know where Clooney's gonna go, um, eventually. Yeah, that's true. But so yeah, that that's what I think her main focus is. Yeah, but I also gotta say she just looks quintessential nineties. Just yes. the entire aesthetic. Like, just look up a picture of her or watch this episode. Doesn't doesn't she have her bun in a scrunchie? Something like that, and she has five earrings in her right ear alone, <laughs> and it's just her lab coat should be flannel. Yeah, yes. She looks like she was... <laughs> it's pl- the dream. Yeah, she looks like she was just plucked out of, like, the grunge scene. But, and but thrown clean in a lab, up. And thrown in a lab code. But, yeah. like, the rest of it. Grunge chic. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. So, we'll see what, what happens to these little baby med students. We find no exit wound from the abdominal gunshot wound on the pregnant woman. They think the bullet may be stuck in the uterus. That's not great. So th- they're going to have to do some some digging around because it didn't come out 
So let's find it. Because oh, yeah. there's a baby in there too. That the bullets and babies don't mix. So uh, we get a time check here. It's eight ten a.m. and Carter still has not arrived. Um, he runs, does finally get there. Uh, runs up to the ambulance bay and happens to run into Carol, who immediately is like, "Nice shirt, man." And he is <laughs> just looking ridiculous, and is just so like, he's kind of uh, picking up the thread from where he left off with uh, the end of season one, where he's running it around trying to get his evaluation back from Hicks like that level of scared frantic Carter that's kind of where he is right now um saying you know oh no I'm a dead man uh comes in and there's just absolute chaos going on there's gang shootings they're drowning in gunshot wounds and Carol winning the episode by saying the title with welcome back Carter hey hey says the title wins the episode first of two times this happens yep exactly then move on from there. We have a, oh look, Morgenstern's back with no explanation. Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah, speaking of speaking of people coming back with just being dropped back into the fray, uh, we get a fair amount of Morgenstern in this episode, at least compared to how much we've had in season one of him before he just pieced out and now he's, yeah, I don't know. Um, but get a little audio. He's chatting with Mark and then some, and then kind of go with the flow of the ER after that. So let's listen in. Hi, Dr. Green. Hey, who is that? It's Carter, I think. Dr. Beckerstein. Well, tell him to slow down. I am on the phone with cardiology every day. They claim the CCU's full. I go up and they're empty beds. We had a rule out MI down here for two days. Hey, you're an attending now. You got a problem with another department, you solve it. Oh, and you've got new third years coming in today. Today? Four of them, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Staff meeting at 4 o'clock. Don't forget. Forget what? Uh, my first staff meeting's today at four. Hey, little boss with the big boss one. Oh, something about me accepting the heavy mantle of my new position. <laughs> you set the tone, right? The drift. Hey, how are you set for cash? Oh, so you need that 200 bucks back. I'm a little strapped for cash right now. No, no, no. I'm making out the schedule for next week. I thought maybe you could pull a graveyard attending shift. Put a little extra cash in your pocket. Really? Yeah. Consider it done. Great. Dr. Green. Yeah. I got three lost sheep claim to be medical students. Oh, I thought there was supposed to be four of them. You know, one's doing a history of a bipolar. It should be done about next Tuesday. Uh, all right. Uh, this way, guys. Hey, Jerry? Anything of the pediatric persuasion up there? I've got a Scandinavian flight attendant with a bum ankle and an earring. And you saved her all for me? I love you, big man. You know that. Clooney said the thing. He said the thing. I was so disappointed to see Morgan Stern back. I knew it was coming, but I was just like, oh... I just, hey, I like Morgan Stern. Thank I you too. very much. I didn't I realize he was back so soon. I don't yeah. hate him. I just like I had I had developed such a fondness for Swift that it just makes me sad that he's gone. Like it's it's nothing really against Morgan Stern. It's more just mourning the loss of Swift. But I also really like this clip just because like it's our first taste of oh hey, Mark is finally getting is getting into being an attending. Like, he's finally taken that next step to where we're going to have him position-wise through the rest of his time on the series. And I think there's a couple times, like, he flirts with becoming chief, but, like, it never, like, fully lines up, either because he doesn't want it or because Weaver gets in the way or something like that or various things. But his first taste of really, really true responsibility, like scheduling, meetings, different stuff like that. And I'll be interested to see how he, he handles the heavy burden of responsibility how he sets the tone according to (laughs) morgan stern and it's just it's really it's another good example of um you know what the different tiers of responsibility are down in the er like 
we think because last last season we're like oh he's chief resident he's really important you know he's the he's kind of the the one not necessarily in charge but the one hurting all of the cats but then all of a sudden there's this attending position and we see oh really he's got this other level that he has to answer to and it's just it's kind of it's interesting starting to see more of the hospital politics. Yeah, he's our first main character that we really get to see in a position of power. Yep. Like, from the main cast. Like, obviously, like, bits of Swift, bits of other, like, CCH Pounder and different other folks. But, like, this is, like, we stay with him and we stay with him through all of this stuff. Through Like, one of our audio clips later in the episode is actually him in a meeting and actually getting to see, like, what those things look like at this ER. Yeah. Yeah. It, which also in turn uh, adds another layer to Carol, uh, Carol's character too, like that we didn't exactly. get to see before. So that's nice. They also have that for us later in the episode. Yeah, it's real cool. And then a little bit of Doug being Doug. So. <laughs> yep, sounds about right. So then Carter runs into the OR in his scrubs with his hands properly sterilized, and Benton and another surgeon. I couldn't quite tell who it was. I don't think it's Hicks here. I think it was Coburn, wasn't it? Yes, it was Coburn on this one because it's they're trying to get the baby delivered and they're working you're on the right. pregnant woman. So yeah, it's Coburn. Yeah, you're right. I couldn't I couldn't tell, but Carter can't answer any of the questions posed by Coburn, and Benton is just horrified. And she's like, "Who is this?" And Benton's like, "Oh, he's my student." And she goes, "Student, doesn't that imply you're supposed to be teaching him something?" So Uber. Benton is mortified. And we're going to have a talking to later about this. But then after that, we quick cut over to a little one-off, little one-off patient, Doug working up the aforementioned Scandinavian flight attendant with a bum ankle. Uh, Her name is Hulda. Um, And there's just some general flirting and stuff like that. But, and Doug's doing his best to be really smooth and while handle, while handling her, her flawless, flawlessly framed leg. And the, I go up, I come down. Like, yeah, exactly. He does a lot of Clooney laughing. With her broken English, and Hale is just judging him so fucking hard. Bro, grow the fuck up. And his uh his hair got real stupid between seasons. Like his he's gone from like the feathered sort of thing that he had going on towards the middle latter half of season one to now he's like full he's back to the full almost Caesar cut thing. It just looks so fucking ridiculous. Like it's so it's so dated in that time, that kind of rooted in that mid nineties time. Yeah, for sure. And then um we see Mark is finally grabs the three med students and he's like, Hey, uh, come into this trauma room, here's some books, read up, study up, because he hasn't figured out what to do with them yet. He doesn't know who to assign them to, he doesn't know who how to like have them shadow, he's got no fucking clue what he's doing. So he's like, Here guys, study up. Yeah. And it's not even a trauma room. It's not even like a point, a place where they might even see a patient, right. like some action. It's just into that room where, like, where, in the pilot where he was sleeping. Yeah, where everybody naps. Exactly. It's one of the it's one of the like more closed door treatment rooms that doesn't often see a lot of patients. That's like an overflow room. Yeah, just but, hands them giant textbooks and be like, "Go fuck off! I got other things to do." Yep. He's like, "I'll come back and get you, but I've got a staff meeting." Um. So then he walks over and we see him and Susan do a little walk and talk about who the new chief resident will be now that Mark is attending. And Mark goes, well, Mark goes, you know, well, I'd love it to be you, but Susan's a year too short in her residency. She, she still has one more year before she could be um, chief resident. So she's ineligible. Darn, the dream team isn't going to work. 
she suggests somebody else that we will deal with a little bit later. Yeah, but Jane Pratt thank is you. her name. Yes, so she suggests Jane Pratt, and we will find out what happens with that a little bit later. Um, Jane, Jane Pratt, who we have never met. Yep, never met, never heard of. And do we? I don't think we see her again after this no, episode. No, she, she makes a one-off appearance here, and then it's like ten more seasons until her brother Greg comes along. Ha! <laughs> her brother from another mother. It could be a half-brother. Anyway, um... So then we we see Mark working with a cardiac patient who's got a headache and is just real annoyed because he's been here forever. And, you know, Mark mentioned earlier on that they've got that issue with the CCU department. So, like, they can't move the patient. He's just stuck waiting around the ER until a bed opens up for him. So he's like, God, I've just got a really bad headache. You know, I'm, I'm miserable. I'm sick of waiting, whatever. And then as Mark and this guy are talking, there's a man at the desk screaming at Jerry in the background in Spanish. And Mark finally just wheels around and goes, Jerry, can you shut him up? And Jerry just goes, silencio, por favor. <laughs> Doesn't help. But it's just, it's a great beat between them. Just like, because this guy is just going and going in the background. And you're like, is anybody going to deal with that? And then finally Mark just loses his shit. And it's all in Spanish too, isn't it? Yeah. The yelling. So it's like, you can't even like understand like what the fuck he's talking about. He's probably family of one of the gunshot victims. I wouldn't be surprised. So then from there, we cut back up to the OR uh, with the uh, pregnant woman with the gunshot wound. Uh, they did a C-section. They were able to get the baby out. Baby has all sorts of raspberry jam smothered all over its face. Uh. <laughs> it's real, <laughs> real good work there with the makeup department. Uh, it's a cute baby though. Much too cute to be a newborn. Yes. Carter uh, ends up going with the baby. Um, the bu- bullet actually nicked the baby's legs, uh, which seems Poor less than baby. ideal. Not a great way to start your life. They clean up the wounds on the legs, and then we get a little beat of Carter talking to the baby, just very soothing. It's very sweet. Yeah, he actually says, oh, it's a hell of a way to make an entrance. Yeah, he's just very sweet with this baby, and it's more John Carter MD, less John Carter surgeon. Yeah, it's... I feel like if there was a job to make patients just feel better or just to comfort patients, he would just be amazing at that. That's a chaplain. But like, <laughs> but like a chaplain, but can also like sew you up. Yeah. Like not like I was thinking more like less religious, yeah. more like just general comfort. Well, chaplains can be non-denominational. That's true. But still. I know, I know. I get what you're saying. I'm just pedantic. I'm thinking of like an in-between. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, we go on after that to uh, all the nurses having their lunch, having their lunch meeting, and got some audio. It's it's just so lovely just to hear Carol being a leader, especially especially seeing how far we've come in this in just a one single season. So let's listen into her. You jet ski? Yeah, that's me. LA, diet or regular? Hey, hey, listen up, everybody. We don't have a lot of time. Min sent us another action memo. Excessive use of surgical supplies. Personnel must exercise prudence in the use of expendables, i.e. 4x4s, gloves, surgical tape, suture kits. Why don't I just bring a needle and thread from home? And alcohol wipes. Next, ACLS. Steph, you're up October 1st. And Wendy, you've never certified. What is it? Don't worry, honey, you're going to love it. Okay, CPR recertification. Lily, Lydia, LA. Saturday afternoon, 1 o'clock. This week? Oh, man, I've got socks tickets. Okay, MICN ride-alongs. Jonah, you got to get your hours in before Halloween. 
And Lily, if it makes you feel any better, I've procrastinated, and now I have to do a paramedic ride along in the next 10 days or I lose my certification. Are you happy? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Last but not least, the hated peach. They have stopped making this particularly delightful shade. <laughs> Take a look at the catalog and get back to me with your choice. I'm not green. I look bad in that green. Carol. 47 is three minutes out and they're in trouble. Okay, everybody, I need your picks by the end of the day. Most votes wins unless I hate it and then whatever I like goes. So, weird note here that we noticed and we realized, like, looking back on season one that this has been true throughout. Wendy is the only one who's not wearing the peach scrubs. Hmm. She wears, like, that, that like, more old school, like, nurse's dress uniform. Yeah, that's definitely true in in season one. I didn't I didn't really pay close attention in this episode. Uh, is she wearing the same thing here? Yeah, she's still not wearing the scrubs, and they're all eating deep dish. Hmm. The superior, the mo- the most superior pizza. <laughs> yes. And I wonder in the late in the mid nineties at this point, like because uh, I think it's Lily who says she's got Sox tickets. Like, what was the hotter ticket in the mid nineties? Would it have been the Cubs or the White Sox? Like, I think they were they were both kind of garbo and that that time frame uh cubs more so probably gotcha but so yeah socks tickets are are generally Affordable. historically have always been easier to get i was gonna say when we went through chicago back in 2016 we were able to get seats like three rows back from the field for like less than 30 dollars. so it was yeah it was a pretty easy ticket yeah it, that's that's true even now like they're not like that great of a team even now and like but even like when they're like had their world series run they were still like not selling out stadiums like not like the as Cubs. consistently as other teams as as like the Cubs sell out like every single game. Oh, I miss baseball. I know, me too. COVID nineteen. God, way to date this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, as we kind of alluded to earlier, with you know, now that Mark has moved into a position of authority, like we get to see a little bit more of that side. Carol has always been in that position, but for whatever reason, they just never really saw fit to explore it that much. And so it's really cool to get to see that different side of her character now where we get to see her in a administrative role and get to see her position as the leader of the nurses. Like, um, we just know that that's what she is by default and, and because we're told that, but we never really get to see it up until now. And I just think this is really cool that we're starting to see that. Yeah, I'm honestly surprised that we don't like have Hale or uh, Lydia as the head nurse. No, I think they've always kind of positioned it as Carol, like just even like when she attempted suicide and the fir- and the pilot, like it kind of got the vibe that like, she's like the nurse no and i i get that but i'm just saying i'm surprised based on based like, on seniority or whatever and seniority oh, gotcha. i would think that it would yeah. be or lydia that's more what i meant not- and different hospitals handle it differently sometimes too like in some hospitals they have like a rotating thing where you know you'll they'll take turns being in charge basically there won't be a singular person who is over the nurses um mm-hmm. but Generally, you will have what's called a charge nurse. You will have the the person who is in charge of all the nurses for a given shift. Um, And then generally, there'll be like a nurse manager, which I feel like they kind of equate the two with Carol. Like they kind of say like she's the charge nurse in title, but in reality, she kind of fills more of the role of a nurse manager. But yeah, yeah, it's just nice to get to see that side of her character. It's just thinking back to like like your most vivid memory of her probably you have two really huge vivid memories of her so far is her attempting suicide and her being left 
not quite at the altar, but being yeah. abandoned at her wedding, and then all that other stuff in between. But just to see her talking with confidence, talking with authority, you know, obviously being friendly still, but like commanding the respect of the room. Yep. It's just, it's beautiful to see, and I love her character, her, this character moment for her. It's good. It, it, it bodes well for season two, Carol. And then we get the aforementioned Jane Pratt approaching Mark about the chief attending position. She says, oh, you know, I know Susan Lewis talked to you about the attending position. I want you to know I didn't ask her to. But, you know, I heard that Carrie Weaver at Mount Sinai is, is also interested, you know, and she'd do a good job. But I'd do a better one. And so this is the first we hear of Carrie Weaver. Ooh. Who's that? They did, What's going to happen? They did a great job of making Jane as uninteresting as they possibly could to make you, like, make you already root for Carrie before you ever meet her. <laughs> because it's Yeah, I like, mean, her name is Jane. Plain Jane. Like, whew, Man, and it's never been more apt than with this girl because she just, like, I don't, I, I just watched the episode again for the the second time around what three days ago and i've already forgotten what she looks like for the most part like she's just tall brunette short hair she's just in and out like in one ear out the other i've already forgotten about her but the way she says i could do it better like kind of sounds almost kind of flirty too which i thought was kind of weird yeah i read it as more of like just desperate like just kind of like uh not like i see what you mean but i like i'm thinking of it I, i read it as more of just like pathetically desperate like i promise i can do better like fair enough but i don't know i can yeah. also see that but like i said i think she's i think she's designed to be boring and uninteresting so that you'll automatically kind of be intrigued by this you know carrie weaver that we've heard so much about yeah because like i said this is the only time we see her in the entire series yeah it's the only time but moving on to characters we see we'll see much more of uh we go to a scene along the river uh you know for specifics we are on the takes place on Wacker between Michigan and Wabash, right near that bridge that they're fond of and right near where Carter was earlier. And we have uh, some audio for you of uh, Benton just giving, just ugh, just reading him the riot act about being late. So let's listen to that. I thought I'd left enough time. You get here an hour before me, you leave an hour after me. You pre-round my patients before I arrive, you order tomorrow's labs after I leave. You check out my surgical schedule and you study the cases the night before. What'd you get read this summer? Schwartz's Principles of Surgery? Savison's Essentials? Surgical Secrets? Let me get a turkey breast on whole grain, lettuce, tomato, extra sprouts, no mayo. Carter, you reflect on me now. You screw up, I screw up. You don't know the answer to some question? That's because I didn't teach you. Hey, no mayo. What do you want, Carter? Oh, uh, can I get a Polish dog with extra onions, extra peppers, and uh, cheese? A lot of cheese, please. Surgery is the most difficult specialty of all. Fifteen students wanted this spot, and at least a hundred will want the surgical residency that you're applying for next year. Now, you want to be a surgeon? Well, then you start acting like a surgeon. I've got a thyroidectomy this afternoon. What do you know about the arteries in the neck? There's a lot of them. You have an hour and 25 minutes. I suggest you locate her grades and start memorizing. <laughs> Just when we were getting used to having confident Carter, I know. We reduced him back down to a bumbling idiot. What a weird backslide. Like, what a. 
I mean, I, I guess it could be sort of true to life. I mean, he has been out of the ER now for three months or so, or out of the hospital. But, yeah, it's just it, such a strange backslide that he goes right, like you said, back into being Bumbling Carter. And not only Bumbling Carter, but kind of aloof Carter. Like, oh, I can just show up and I will be rewarded. Like, no, like, dude. You have I to... got this sub-I. I'm, I'm obviously hot shit. Right. You have to work for it a little bit, man. Like, it's it's kind of odd. I mean, I get that we, we sort of do have to reset the table a little bit here for the start of the next season, but um, I would hate to think that we threw away, like, a half a season's worth of character development uh, from Carter to get I to I mean, it. I guess you could... I guess you could also look at it as him moving into, like, now he's in the real shit. Yeah. Now he's expected to be a surgeon. Yeah. He's expected to know what's going on. He's not just a first-year med student anymore. Or, you know what I mean? He's yeah. not a first-year intern anymore. And he's exactly. and he's moving out of the ER and into full-time in the OR. Like, that's, right. that's a lot of his growth and his development was very ER-centric. So I suppose there's an argument to be made for that. And I, yeah. I also enjoy the... the the interplay between the two of them with Carter's lunch order where (laughs) (laughs) Carter orders like the anti-Benton and it's just I'm I am glad we picked up where we left off with those two I think we should make that sandwich and call it the (laughs) anti-Benton it sounds pretty good it does sound very good sounds very very gassy though like I don't feel like that's That's the kind of I don't feel like that's the kind of thing you want to eat before you're going to go into a surgery and you have to be clean you'll just smell you'll be fine (laughs) So, quick quick weird throwback, kind of, to last season. Mark is checking on a patient. Her name is Loretta Sweet. We haven't met her before, but we're going back to the weird thing of Mark um, having to check on women with rashes on their thighs. And she has contact dermatitis, and it's alluded to that she's a prostitute. And he's like, it seems like you're allergic to something that you've come in contact with. Maybe you shouldn't come in contact with that again. Maybe avoid coming in contact with that. And she just kind of goes, you know, I have three kids at home. Like, alluding to the fact that she has to make money to feed them. It's just a very strange... Like, nothing really comes of the storyline. She's just there. He prescribes her some um, antihistamine cream. And then is out... Or not antihistamine, um, cortisol cream. And is then out the door. Like, that's it. Very strange one-off that this is the type of patient, like not not saying women or sex worker or anything like that, but just this is the type of like dead-end sort of patient that I'm hoping that as the show gets its legs underneath of it and finds its voice that we kind of move away from. The yeah, the, like, the patient that just goes nowhere and is there yeah. for no reason. Um, like I'd love, you know, not I'd love, but I'd be fine if we had more sex worker patients or if we had more dynamic female patients, but it's just these absurd one-offs that they've done a lot that just kind of... Yeah. Aren't great. Like, she's got to feed her family. Totally respect that. She's working hard. Whatever. You do you, girl. We but, support sex workers on this podcast. Yes. But, um... But do something with the storyline. Like... Yes, exactly. Say, say that. You know, make that make that message clear, but they don't really. They just say kind of, hey, look at this lady. And then she's a sex worker. Isn't that crazy? Like, and kind of move yeah, away like, from it. Yeah, here's the shock value. Yeah, like it's... Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's shock value. Like, they put it in there just so you can go, ooh, like, gasp and clutch your pearls and then move on. Like, it's just very, like, worthless as a, as a story beat, but... So uh, we move over from that to our next kind of trauma patient, um, 
paramedics bring in an adult male found in a pool of his own vomit. He is cyanotic. Uh, his small child is with him. His son uh, rode with him in the ambulance. Doesn't even have a shirt on. He's just in sweatpants. The guy's airway, uh, he has an airway obstruction. Carol manages to fish the obstruction out of his throat mouth um, because the docs were too busy and, and were taking too long to get in to crike him, which the whole time, um, I actually watched this episode with Nurse Jen, and the whole time we're watching it, as Carol is fishing around in that guy's mouth, she's just sitting there next to me going, no, don't do that. Don't, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Like, that is definitely a, like, thing that has gone away, <laughs> is the, like, reach in and start rooting around, try to find, no, don't do that. Like, don't try to find the obstruction with your fingers. Just don't. You're going to make things worse. And then in the trauma room, we can see kind of, I think we're in the yellow trauma room, and you can see through the window into um, the green trauma room. And there is this uh, drunk in there just kind of wandering around in circles. And he just keeps yelling doctor in this very like (laughs) sing-songy doctor, doctor. And you can see clearly, again, probably something that didn't pick up in standard def, but now in like 1080p, you know, whatever. It's very clear that the guy in the other room's lips are not moving. And the clip just plays over and over and over again. And anytime we are within earshot of the trauma rooms, whether we're inside of a trauma room or just in the beds outside of it, you will hear that same doctor playing over and over and over again the rest of the episode. And it just drove me absolutely up a wall by the end of this this one. Then a little little scene with uh, Susan asking Carter if he wants to show a third year how to start an IV. And it's like, eh, whatever. Not really. And then Susan's like, you haven't seen her yet. Like, kind of setting up that little... That's why I like... But I would say, I don't really remember Harper's storyline that much, but I feel like it involves Carter in some romantic yes, capacity. Yes, I'm pretty sure that she is literally just there for him to have... Like, she's a, a table leg for him to hump most of the season. Like, she's just like... <laughs> It's it's I'm pretty confident that that's what it is. <laughs> like I don't think she really gets to do very many interesting things. I could be wrong. Like I said, I'm I'm interested to see you know what my thoughts are on on Harper this go around because I feel like she was very forgettable the first time around. But and Carter just does an amazing uh, kind of parkour leap off the bed when Susan says you haven't seen her yet. Like he just like leaps off the bed all in one move. Yeah, but uh, Carter goes in and sees Harper and her. Getting, uh, trying to get an IV in the bipolar woman uh, that was previously seen, and Harper managed to get it on the first try. It's nice to see him get to do the teaching. Like we've seen him now, you know. Like that was that was how we started in the pilot last, or it might not have been in the pilot, might have been day one. Um, but that was one of the first things we saw him with Benton do was Benton showed him how to start an IV. So he got to see one. We've seen him do several ones over the course of season one, and now we're seeing him teach one. So it's he's following greens see one do one teach one mantra um and then just another technical note from nurse jen um she remarked as she was watching this scene that the needle he's using uh that he's using to show harper how to start the iv is like way too big to start an iv like it's needlessly big like it's like uh i think she said it's a 16 gauge it looks like which is many many levels or many sizes above what it needs to be to start an IV um, but she said she was hypothesizing that um, they probably picked one that big so that it would show up on camera so that you could see it that's horrifying yeah and just I love how doe-eyed he gets when he's like oh my god she got it right away <laughs> 
Like, pretty, pretty girl, pretty girl does IV good. And then we have another great moment of Carol working with children. Carol goes to talk to that little boy that came in with the gentleman who had passed out in his own vomit. Um, she, she's, he's currently sitting with Malik working on a VCR and Carol comes up and she's like, oh, nice shirt. And Malik's like, it's the only one I could find. And it's, it's a shirt with ice cube on it, which is a throwback. Um, and she's like oh you know we'll 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 call somebody to get to take you home whatever and the little boy says oh my dad will take me home he always takes me home when he signs out like and she's like oh this has happened before and she goes yeah or and he's like yeah you know we'll we'll go home and she's like have you called 911 before for him that was very smart that you knew to do that and he goes yeah like we find out this is a pretty regular thing for this kid to be calling 911 for his dad and then from there, a tonal shift to Carter passing out vacation gifts to everyone. He's giving the ladies some pretty scarves. He gives Mark a real fucking stupid hat. Um, and he gives, who is it, Jerry a voodoo doll? I th- he gives out several, like, little dolls. Yeah, but J- I think Jerry's the first one he gives out. And and then he, Benton starts being an asshole to him and, you know, just, just, just being Benton. And, um... Jerry's like, oh, maybe you should have saved one of these for yourself. And Carter's like, what makes you think I didn't? And he pulls one out of the bag and, like, stabs it in the back of the neck. And when he does, Benton, like, slaps the back of his neck right where he stabbed the doll. And he and he and um, Jerry just look at each other like, oh, shit, these work. Like, So it comes back as another little gag later. And then, while we're at the, the um, admission desk, we get a little Boolenton. 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 <laughs> Um, Benton is doing some charts or something and Jeannie walks up to him and just is very like, hey. And he's like, oh, hey. Ugh, I, and they're just real. I hate them so much. They're just real awkward and like middle schoolers. And we think maybe it's because like they're, they're estranged friends and they're not really sure how to navigate this friendship thing. That's what, that's what we think right now. We'll that be proven. Not wrong. what's happening. That's that yeah. not what's not happening what's right happening. now. Yeah. So we get that. We get a little like establishing shot of some Boulenton. And then we go on to Doug coming up to the desk and he's like, why are there three children in cheap ties in exam room three? And um, Mark goes, oh shit, the med students. I completely, like completely forgot about them. He's like, oh no, well, you know, like I'll have to figure out what to do with them, but you know, tell them I'll be back after my staff meeting. And then quickly we, uh, we finish out that scene by um, seeing Carter tell Benton that he's all ready to go for the thoracotomy only to find out that, um, plans have changed and they are now doing a hernia instead and as benton walks away carter stabs the at the voodoo doll several times and there's a horrified nun in the background <laughs> like it's just a very very comedic take by carter and the whole scene is i enjoy that then we get our dun, 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 our staff meeting with morgan stern and other assorted folks so let's listen to that folks can we get started please can we start on time uh, for those of you who don't know, Mark Green is joining us as an attending now that he's completed his residency. Mark, have you given any thought as to who should succeed you as chief resident? Uh, I was thinking Jane Pratt would be an excellent choice. She not blonde, always wears sweaters. Uh, no, brunette, tall. She's very smart, uh, well-liked, uh, easy to get along with, very competent. Well, that's pretty much how I would describe you. You might want to consider someone who would compliment your weaknesses. Which are... Discipline, paperwork, administration. 
Any other uh, candidates? She'd be my first choice. Carol, any thoughts? Pratt's the best of this year's crop. Should take the least babysitting. Mark, you know Carrie Weaver over at Mount Sinai? Uh, only by reputation. I'd like you to meet her. Okay. Can we get this Ross thing finally resolved today? Oh, Neil. Look, I know nobody oh. thinks this is important, but I don't understand why my pediatric budget is carrying the cost of an ER fellowship for Doug Ross. It's an ER pediatrics fellowship, Neil. Okay, then put him under my supervision. I'll keep him in the clinic where I'm severely understaffed. And when there's a real pediatrics emergency, you can call him down. They need him in the ER full time. Well, then let him pay. Yeah. They're severely under budgeted, and you know it. See, I like Ross, but he is a bit of a cowboy. A bit? David, he's arrogant and dismissive of my authority. <laughs> now, I'm warning you right now. When his fellowship comes up for renewal in November, I'm not going to sign off on it. You want him, you find the money for him. Let's jump off that bridge when we get to it, shall we? Okay, Mark, we need to talk about who gets to cover the attending swing shifts. It's a nice piece of change. Any thoughts? Uh, no. I'll, uh, I'll get you some names later. Next on the agenda, we've got a JCAH inspection coming up. Come on, people. This is what allows us to call ourselves a hospital. There is so much to unpack on that. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that sticks out for me personally, uh, besides Mark having no idea what, having no idea what the fuck he's doing, um... <laughs> is they start to set up the plot line of no one really knows what to do with Doug. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be sort of a pervasive storyline of his, like, will he still have, will they still have the hip room for him in the budget? Will they still, you know, like eventually it turns out to him having his own little like pediatric room and the costs associated with that. There's a lot of juggling of, Doug as a staff member. Yeah, that's which is really cool. That's kind of a thread, I think, almost the rest of his run, isn't it? it is exactly. Yeah, it's the completely the rest of his run. Which is great because that's something we were wondering about in season one. We were like, where the fuck does Doug fit? Because we were like, is he a resident? Like, what is he doing here? And it turns out he's here on fellowship. Yep. So that answered a lot when we were like, you know, how much older is he than these guys? What like what is his ranking? And this kind of helps clear up a lot of that and sets up a lot of his tension for the rest of his run. And I, yeah. and I like that it sets up his reputation outside of the ER too. Mm -hmm. that he's, you know, that Coburn is like, well, I like him, but he's kind of an ass. And like, you know, the other guy is like, he's arrogant and he doesn't, doesn't listen to authority and just like, just sets up his sort of outside of the ER rep reputation. Cause really other than what we saw in season one with really just him and green, we don't really get to see much of him in terms of interaction with people outside of the little main cast bubble. And just, I also like just that the, the other peak behind the scenes, we seem to be getting a lot of that this episode, which I like that kind of yeah. stuff. Makes it feel more like a living, breathing hospital. Exactly. It adds a lot of depth to the actual like setting of the hospital itself, I think. And then for a complete shift from a fucking staff meeting, we get a gentleman coming in from the rain, carrying his brother and screaming for help. The brother isn't breathing and he's hypoxic. We don't really know what's going on. This patient is really set up for a ridiculous comedic beat in a little bit. But for now, we just leave the brothers. They're going to get checked out. Shit'll be fine. We find out the father that came in passed out. We don't ever... Do we ever get his name? I don't think so. I don't think we do. Yeah, I don't think so. Either way, the, the um, father who had come in passed out is trying to check himself out AMA and... We're going to go visit him in a little bit. There's going to be words. Mark is asking Doug, like, hey, do you know anything about Carrie Weaver? I know you guys did part of your residency together. 
Like, what can you tell me about her? Because she's been brought up for this position. And Doug goes, you ever see one flew over the cuckoo's nest? Oof. So for those of you who don't know, he is comparing her to Nurse Ratchet, who is an absolutely awful, evil, terrible tyrant of a character who is the worst possible thing for somebody in a psychiatric ward. <laughs> I also so I love, 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 love that this sets up to the, the adversarial relationship between Doug and Carrie, which is one of my favorite through lines of their time together on like I think in my opinion Carrie is the best Weaver is the best thing that ever happens to Doug as a character like he I think is just sort of out in limbo with nothing really to do until Carrie comes along and then he really gets to have some fun once she arrives and I'm so so excited for it all right and then we are checking back in with the drunk who has pneumonia you know he's trying to be combative with Carol and not really like physically combative, but just like "fuck you, you don't know me, man." Like type, kind of like dismissive. Um, he just sort of collapses, coughing onto the floor, and Carol just is ice cold. She literally looks down at him. Yeah, <laughs> it's framed really well. It's it's shot really well. Just like this, the shot of just this dude just like coughing on the floor, being like, "Oh my god," like like looking like the most helpless person ever, and then just. You see Carol in the background just standing there, just looking, like, glaring a hole through him. And she pulls out the line, I don't know why, but that boy cares about you. Why don't you stay and give him something to be proud of? Yeah, get yourself cleaned up. Yeah. It's just a really weird side to Carol that we don't really see too often. But I like it. So then we get a quick cut over uh, to uh, Susan is back out in the main main floor um, working on a patient um, they're trying to get his heart stabilized and the air conditioning guys uh, we, we kind of note at the beginning of the scene that they um, in the background are seen going up into the drop ceiling which you know if you've ever worked in an office building uh, you'll know that drop ceiling tiles are not the sturdiest things in the world so kind of predictably one of the air conditioning workers falls through the ceiling and right directly onto Susan's patient while they're trying to get his heart stabilized and it actually kind of helps in a way um the guy's like the guy's got like an unstable heart rhythm and then the guy falls on his chest and then it's like oh he's fine now or his heart rhythm is stabilized so kind of has unintended consequences I'm not sure of the medical efficacy of that but and um this worth noting this is the um the hypoxic brother that had gone Oh, yes, yes. Closing the loop on that, yes. Another quick cut, we see Benton uh, quizzing Carter about anatomy because he has, um, in an unseen interaction, he has fucked it up in front of Hicks. He has not been able to answer correctly any of her questions, which, like, dude, Carter, like, how have we backslid so far with this guy that he is this much of a fuck up after what we saw at the end of season one? Like, I really thought we were firmly into john carter territory and not and had left baby carter behind but i guess not and as we mentioned uh as i mentioned earlier the kind of ever-present uh anytime you're within earshot of the trauma rooms you can still hear the guy in the background screaming doctor and it's it's awful but then after that we enter carrie motherfucking weaver yes woo she only has a little bit of a little scene uh which are gonna play the audio for you but where she meets uh, Mark for the first time, but just two of the heaviest hitters and one of the best storylines in the entire series coming along. So 
Let's hear her first words. Uh, Dr. Green, heard a lot of great things about you. I'm uh, Carrie Weaver. Oh, hi. Hi, I'm Mark. Uh, sit down. Oh, hi. <clears throat> Just eating something. So, uh, Morgenstern says you're going to need a lot of help around here. Really? Gonna finish those fries? Oh, no. So, when do I start? <laughs> Just badass bitch straight from the beginning. Mm. <sighs> I, I forgot how much I loved her and then she showed up. I remember hating her. Oh, yeah. On her first yeah. run, like when I was younger. I hated her so much. The point much. is to hate her. I know. But now I watch it and I'm like, I love her. She's Be- so great. Because she's she's the fucking antagonist of this season. That's true. For, for Mark and especially for Doug. But she's so good. She's exactly complimenting their weaknesses and that's why she's such a foil. Yeah. yeah. And I love her. Because she don't take no shit. Even just hearing her voice again was nice. Like, yeah. Just that the her very distinct voice and and like not not only voice but like the way she talks was just very it was like comforting. Yeah. How do you like those fashion choices, Lauren? Oh, do I really want to get into it? <laughs> yeah, you uh, do. It's okay. your thing. No, I mean the specific note I had on our thing. Oh yeah. No, um. It's... No, with those with those straight bangs and that vest, how did nobody call she was a lesbian until season <laughs> what five? Oh, it's way later than that. It's later than that. Yeah. yeah. How did no one fucking call that? How did she not even know with that fashion choice? Like, speaking as your resident butch over here, like, <laughs> at some point you just know. Yeah, that, that vest is something else. It looks like she got it straight out of the Sears mom catalog. It, it gives Rachel's sweater from the pilot a run for its uh. money. Ugh. Um, yeah. I mean, if you so if you listen to the season one wrap up that we did, if you're a patron at patreon.com slash setting the tone podcast uh then you heard us kind of gush all about kind of what we were excited about for season two and i think kind of unanimously across the board one of the things that we were excited about was carrie um and i described her in that in that wrap-up i just described her as er's green ranger like and to me that's what she is like she is the character who gets added in in the second season who kind of carves out almost a niche to a point where you just like looking back on it in hindsight, you just always think of her as part of the original cast, even though she doesn't actually arrive until season two. Um, But she just creates such a firm place for herself where she doesn't feel tacked on to where you're just like, no, she's just always been there since the beginning. And I just really, really like, I went through a whole spectrum of emotions with her the first time around. Like I, like Lauren said, I hated her when she was first around and um, kind of came around on her as things progressed through the seasons. And by the end of it, you know, I was really, really sad to see her go, but, um, she's originally slated, um, this, I didn't know until I was doing the research, reading up on her as a character that she was originally slated for only a six episode run on the show. So she was not intended at least initially to be uh, a permanent character. Um, but she ends up with the second most series appearances, second only to Carter, which is just crazy. Damn. Like, the only person who's got her... And I don't think it's by much, either. I think it's maybe by, like, less than a couple dozen uh, appearances Carter's got her beat by. So, it's... 
pretty incredible that we don't like we don't see her till the beginning of season two and she's gonna rack up this much she's kind of one of the mainstays from here on out mm-hmm. yeah and she is played by laura Ines. laura Innes. Innes, Innes. Yeah. yeah yeah who I will be remember how to pronounce her last name who will be just like all over the show in a variety of capacities i mean obviously playing weaver but also she's going to direct a few episodes um she may have even written one i'm don't 100 percent remember that but yeah like this is going to be one of the heaviest hitters that we will come across i think really until we start getting into like major cast changeover you know like i'm talking like abby and kovach like until we get to there this is kind of your biggest character debut we're gonna see for a long long time um and i'm so excited to see what what we get out of early weaver before they really refine the character and before they really flesh out what it is she's all about um and and, while she's still kind of just an asshole yeah yeah and one of the things that i really like about her as a character is that she is disabled and Mm -hmm. it is never yeah we never mentioned that it's never really addressed like it's never i mean it, it is a little bit visually because they start that the way they like introduce her is by showing her crutch but then that's it like it's never brought up again no one ever they never actually nail down a like this is why she yeah this is why she uses these crutches like it's just never addressed it's just part of her character and it's accepted and it and it does not hinder her in any way and i think that's like the coolest most progressive way that a character like that is uh been portrayed i think they do one or two gags where like her crutch slips on something yeah, yeah I do vaguely but remember I, that. They, but they don't really make it like a dependent thing. They yeah. just make it just like anybody else. If they slipped on something, they'd fall. Mm-hmm. Like they yeah. have one or two things where it gets caught and she's like, eh. They don't make it like, ha ha, look at the cripple. Right. Right. It's more, it's more just like, ah, shit. And they don't play it up for sympathy yes. either. You know, they don't, no. they don't make it, they don't literally make it a crutch. They don't make it this thing that she agonizes about that she wishes were different. And she, I just want to be like the normal kids. Like, no, she's just yeah. like a badass and she does what she needs to do and fuck off. I don't need, like, I just, I love that about her. And that's actually, you know, important to her character later on. Like, I think towards, like, season, like, 12 or 13, like, she grapples with, like, she has the option, she has the option to have an operation to fix it to where Mm -hmm. she won't need a crutch anymore. And she really struggles with that as a part of her identity. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we've known her for this past decade as this character, and I'm sure she's had that crutch long before we meet her. Like, she's just always been a disabled person. And, you know, like, how do you come to terms with, like, not being that? Like, when it's so worked into your identity. Yeah. Yeah. One of the. But that's. I'm talking way down yeah, the line that's, here, though. She, like I said, she's going to be with us for a while. But um, just one of the more well rounded characters that we have on the show. And, like, one of. I, I, I think I mentioned this at some point in season one, too, like, when we were talking about her as a future character. I think she's one of the characters. Um, who gets to tell her full story from beginning to end more so than say Mark does or like mm-hmm. Benton does or like, you know, like her, her story doesn't really get lopped off the way some of the other characters do. She really does get to have kind of the full breadth of her story told. And I think that's really, really cool. Yeah. Really significant. And part of the, and part of that was at her request. Like she, like when she was getting ready to like depart, like the acting side of the show, she was like, mm-hmm. "Okay, we're n- we're not gonna kill me off. We're not gonna right. like. I want a happy ending for Carrie, and because because she's, she's a disabled queer person, like it's important she get a happy ending. Yeah, yeah. like I put too much in. I put too much work into this character just to have her get bitch killed, essentially. 
so and she does right off into the sunset with grace which is which is lovely yeah so 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 much good stuff to come with carrie i can't wait to like gush all over uh with her as we go along but (laughs) for now Uh, guys i just had a real dumb moment when lizzie said that i was like i don't remember a character named grace oh god (laughs) (laughs) oh sweet baby lauren sweet precious baby Lauren. long day all right. Uh, so we cut back over to the trauma room. Um, we've got a 15-year-old male with a shotgun wound to the chest, close range, no vital signs. He is pretty much DOA, but they don't say that, of course. But um, the suspicion is that it's the guy who did the shooting at the beginning of the episode. Uh, we see Carter doing his first innovation since being back. Um, Carter has gotten super squeamish over the summer. Like he had kind of, again, backsliding you know we had sort of gotten over that with carter and he's now again kind of squeamish um and thinks he's going to be sick and you know it's like dude how do you expect to be a surgeon if you're not going to be able to deal with blood and gore and stuff like that's kind of what you're signing up for but uh, malik cracks that it does does anybody smell barbecue in here and that's what does it for carter carter and they do this weird like slow motion take as he falls like it's very like bullet time uh, and it's just, I don't, I thought that was strange stylistically, but, uh, and of course Malik laughs, takes second place behind Carol for the episode by saying, welcome back Carter. So we get two episode title drops. I just, this whole episode is fantastic and I'm so happy for it. And then Susan goes to talk to the brother of the hypoxic gentleman and says, Hey, you know, your brother's going to be okay, but he has a couple broken ribs. And the guy's just like, Oh great. Wait, what? Like nothing really comes of it, but he's just like, huh <laughs> so just a funny little humor beat the guy's fine nothing else comes of that story um we find out the kid who got shot in the chest is dead they couldn't do anything for him um and benton says sew him back up nothing fancy be here at 6 a.m tomorrow morning and leaves it to carter <sighs> so way to way to way to have it for your for your student there way to way to have that be a teachable moment you jackass and then Carol asks the two paramedics, Shep and Raul, if she can tag along with them for a ride-along sometime next week. And they're like, yeah, Hathaway, you handled yourself real well back there. You totally can come along anytime you want. Like, just totally broing it up with her. And she's like, huh, <laughs> okay. Like, just real flustered that they're like, oh, they think I'm one of the cool kids? So, <laughs> so she's going to ride along with them. This becomes kind of a through for part of the season. Um, Doug overhears it and teases her for it. He's like, oh, hey, Hathaway. And, um, he's like, what are your plans for tonight? And she's like, oh, probably just me, a bowl of popcorn and a movie. Like, I'm not really going or doing anything. He goes, all right, what should I bring? Totally invites himself over. And... Not in, like, a creepy way. No, but, but like... in just sort of, like, a playful, hey, we're friends. Yeah. Kind of way. So, like, not implied anything is going to happen, but just, like, hey, I'm coming over. Now, if this was season one, Doug, we'd be like, what the fuck? Here, (laughs) I'm like, yeah, they seem like they're all right. They left last season in a good place. I'm comfortable with this. Yeah. So uh, with Shep and Raul, as you kind of touched on, um, this is going to turn into a little bit of a thing for season uh, two. Like, I think he, uh, Shep in particular, is going to be sort of our, our new tag, I guess. Like, not... Not ish. In, yeah, ish. Tag light. 
diet tag. So Shep is less proper. Yeah. Shep is played by an actor named Ron Eldard, uh, who has appearances in Super 8, Deep Impact, and Black Hawk Down, among other things. And he appears in 17 episodes total. Um, so he's he's going to be um, with us for a big chunk of season two to varying degrees of success. I kind of go back and forth with Shep as a character. Raul, on the other hand, is much less notable. Um, he's played by an actor named Carlos Gomez, and he will be with us for about six episodes total. So a little less memorable with Raul, but they do you do see him a few more times. Um, but yeah, so Shep in particular is the real story here. He's going to be kind of one of our through lines for at least part of season two. All right. And there we go. Another ER connection and deep impact. <laughs> and it's racking up to be another movie we do. Oh, hell yeah. It was yeah. already going to be because it, it has uh, to be because Weaver was in it. But yeah, she's a minor. Not she's a minor. You're right. Character. She is with her daughter. Yeah, she's like a B character. Yep, you're right. OK. And then. <laughs> We, we flip back over to another conversation with Susan and Mark, and Susan's still bitching that her patient is still in the ER, hasn't been taken up to the CCU yet. Mark's like, I gotta go, I gotta catch my train. If I don't catch this, I'll be walking to Milwaukee, like, I need to get to Union Station. And Susan's like, you need to do something, like, this is your job now. He's like, I will, on Monday, peace, and leaves her to it. And Susan is also mad at Mark that he hired Carrie and not Jane. And she's like, well, when was I supposed to find out when her name was on the board? Like, why weren't you going to tell me? And it's like, you just you just gave him a recommendation. He didn't promise he was going to hire her. Like, calm down, Susan. <laughs> so there was that. And then suddenly um, the bipolar woman comes down from earlier. She's, she's in a gown now. She's hooked up to an IV with some clear fluids. And it looks like she's got her medication and... She, um, she's like, oh, you know, are you the young lady who helped me this morning? I really appreciate it. And Harper's like, what? Uh, yeah. You know, how are you feeling? Like, really kind of like, why are you still that? Or why are you back down here? And the woman's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I have my medication. I'm a little tired now, but I'm feeling much better. Thank you. You know, I'd like to play the, did I tell you I played the cello? And Harper was like, yeah, you might've mentioned it a few times. And she goes, well, I'd love to play the cello for you as a thanks for looking after me earlier. And um, Harper's like, no, that's really okay. And the woman's like, no, my son brought it for me so I could play while, like, un- while I'm admitted to pass the time. And so this woman just pulls out a cello, sits herself down in the middle of the ER and starts playing. It's beautiful. As always, it stops the whole ER dead whenever something like this happens. Everybody stops what they're doing and watches. Um, and then the music is the backdrop to Carter and the nurses wrapping up the shotgun victim. And it's beautifully shot and beautifully done. It's kind of, I feel like that scene, whole scene is kind of out of place though. Oh, definitely. But it's like, still. It's like one of those, like everyone in the ER stops what they're doing and focuses on just this one moment of beauty and humanity and <laughs> Lottie frickin' da. Yeah, it's a little up its own ass. It's probably, I, I feel like it might've been written in reverse. Like, I feel like maybe they were like, and I don't know this for sure, but maybe this actress actually could play the cello and maybe they knew that, like they discovered that and were like, how do we write this in? Like, how do we, and like, they just kind of reverse engineered this whole sequence. Um, Cause yeah, you're right. It does feel a little bit out of place. It's, it's well done. It's done to good effect, but it, it does sort of feel a little bit shoehorned in, but the actress, as I mentioned earlier, um, kind of a strange 
accolade, I guess. Like, so the actress's name is Penny Fuller, and most famous appearance for her was in All the Pre- All the President's Men uh, with Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford. But she was nominated for an Emmy for this episode um, for best uh, guest star. Um, really? Di- didn't win, but like. I was just like, what did she do to get nominated? Like, okay, I mean, I guess if that's really her playing the cello at the end, maybe I could see that. But, like, it's not like she does this, like, incredible acting job. Like, she's kind of just there. And she's not even a particularly significant patient. Like, she kind of just floats in at a couple of scenes and does the manic act and then she's gone. You know, so it's kind of kind of strange that they would kind of single her out as somebody worthy of a nomination. But, okay, Weird. Um, but from there, we move on to... We have a really great panning shot of the L, and I love me some L action. After that uh, beautiful shot, we have uh, Carter sitting outside and having a little chat with Carol. So let's listen to their conversation. Hey, you okay? Yeah. No, I'm fine. Tough first day back, huh? Some days, like today, I have to forget. I'd never come back. So, did you have a good summer? Yeah. It's great. Really. Did a uh, peds rotation over children's. It's been about five weeks, kicking around St. Bart's. Really? I always wanted to go. Was it nice? friendship i do too she has a good like mom friend energy with him mm-hmm. it's one you don't get to see very much of now that i think about exactly. it exactly yeah I, I do wish we had i do wish this is a pairing we had more of over the years but yes yeah, uh, lauren how about those uh yeah how about those surgery blues lauren i love those scrubs that's such a good color on him i was just sitting there like mm, he's handsome <laughs> forget character growth i was just busy looking at him going he's a cutie And then we see Mark running to Union Station to catch the Amtrak train. He barely makes it. Like, they're closing the the doors to the train right as he hops on. Nice enough to let him on. And I was so mad at this because I have been to Union so many times for Amtrak trains, and they close those gates ten minutes before departure. This would not happen. (laughs) I don't know if this is a change, and they used to be, like, up until the time of leaving, but no, if you are ten minutes... You're you're not getting on yeah, unless by unless by grace of God you have an employee escort to get you there. Like I've I've had some close calls where I've almost missed my trains because I haven't heard the announcements. Yeah, if you don't have an employee helping you out, you're not getting on the train. <laughs> they do not make exceptions. It's like that's the only security measure they have at Union. <laughs> they don't really do anything yeah. else, but like so it's like there's no way if it was a Metro train maybe, but the fact that this is an Amtrak train. I'm sorry I'm ranting about trains, but this is just the only <laughs> thing I really had a hook on this episode. Yeah, Metro, um, they don't give a fuck. Yeah, Metro, they don't care. Amtrak, they're a little stricter about it, so I was just surprised. But maybe because this is one of the frequent, like, Milwaukee commuter train ones. But then it would be Metro. It wouldn't be Amtrak. Well, no, Amtrak has some very specific corridors that are, like, essentially commuter train corridors. Fair. Anyway, that's all I got. <laughs> he shouldn't have been on that train. He should have not made it. But he did, so suck it. There you go. 
Uh, hey, Chloe's back. Yay, I guess. Yay? Uh, yeah. She's been cooking dinner, so that's, I guess, progress. Susan comes in, um, having picked up little Susie from daycare. Um, and Chloe is apparently back in school, <laughs> learning about, uh, talk about Word 95, or uh, Windows 95, like she's learning about uh, Word and Excel, because it's the mid-90s. And um, just kind of a weird beat where Susan stares at uh, Chloe, kind of creepy, as she's holding uh, little Susie, just kind of a little bit of a creeper stare. But A little bit. And, but, and hey, Windows 95 was just released, so gotta get with the times, man. Then we come into the closing scene of the episode with some Boo Linton. Uh, oh no. Oh, oh dear. Oh dear. Uh, Jeannie and Benton are in bed together. Uh, naked. In the dark. They uh, they had some, uh, some post-coital nap times. <laughs> <laughs> it is now almost midnight. Uh, Jeannie is a little frantic, frantic because uh, Mr. Boulet... Gets off in 10 minutes, so uh, way to be a stand-up gentleman there, Ben. Letting your married lady fall asleep. He she did, was comfortable. He doesn't even really care. Like, he's very... Exactly. He's very, like, aloof about it. He's just like, eh, whatever. Like, why don't you no, stay? That's, like, the, that's not my... Uh, like, kind of like giving off the vibe that that's not his problem. Yeah. Like, not doesn't explicitly say that, but but then she, she's, she drops an I love you on him. She's like, I'm sorry, I have to go. I love you. Yeah, just very, very faintly and very sweetly. And then Benton says nothing, just stares her back at her. And then she leaves. Yeah. With his taco meat chest hair. God. (laughs) I I hate his chest hair. His chest hair is a little upsetting. Uh, I didn't even notice it. It was the first thing I noticed. <laughs> it was, of course, it was. Like when we, you yell at me for suspenders, but you pick like khaki dicks and <laughs> suspend and and uh, and um, chest hair. Yeah. Oh boy. Like I um, I did not remember that they were dropping the L word. Uh, like I, I thought this was kind of like a a quick torrid affair that you know ends for a very um abrupt uh reason that we will get to later in the season, but. I did not remember that they were full on like going from awkward, awkward lunch meetings at the end of season one to season premiere, season premiere of season two, like naked in the bed and then, uh, you know, dropping L bombs. Like that was just like not something that that was a transition that I was not prepared for. It's a very weird way to wrap up. What was a genuinely pretty fantastic episode? It was pretty, pretty solid opener. Like, does does a lot of things that it need to do i i'm not a fan of how far they let carter backslide in the break but every just about everything else i think i'm pretty excited about like i'm excited about carol's development i'm excited about green's new role i'm excited about weaver especially like there's so many things about season two to be excited about and this sets it up in a really really compelling way it makes you wonder what's next yeah and it's it's a very clean episode it's very to the point yeah, just so much excellent world building as well. Just like showing you like the rundown, say, of the ER more. Like, again, a lot of like behind the scenes stuff that we touched on earlier is just really excellent to see. Just every, everything feels more alive. Mm-hmm. If that's a good, if that makes sense at all. No, it, yeah. it feels like that the hospital outside of the ER is a, is a character unto itself. Like, it exists 
more than just the the five or six people that we saw in season one in the ER. Like, there's more to the hospital than just those central characters. There's an ecosystem. Exactly. Yes. Thank you. That's a good way to put it. It makes it all more dynamic. Exactly. Alrighty, well that should just about wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening as always. The show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash the tone podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. Higher tier rewards, once unlocked, will include special season recap episodes, which we have a taste of the first one up on our feed for you. Hopefully you listened to get that a listen last week. We also unlock a monthly bonus show called The Lounge, where we'll talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and pop culture in that moment. And also a monthly movie commentaries, where we watch and talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. So, hey, we mentioned Deep Impact this episode, so look for that as a future as a future one. Uh, we'd also really appreciate it if you would follow us on our, on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are at Facebook at facebook.com slash setting the tone podcast, and we are at setting the tone podcast on Instagram. Our theme music today, as always, is provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is y o u dot e l. You can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co host Jake Terrell, uh, where we do a different pop culture topic each week and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me live-tweeting disaster movies to avoid the, the cruel reality we live in right now at my personal Twitter, at Lobob92345. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter. I am at RandomGamer. That's G-A-M-3-R. And thank you again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next week for Season 2, Episode 2, and have a great week.